This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle. This episode of Real Estate is Your Business is powered by Sennheiser, the future of audio. Uh, hey, I'm Yale Fox. I'm the CEO of Rent Logic. And I think the thing that I love most about the real estate industry probably falls under, um, I guess, the construction sector. It happens to be that my office is right across from one Vanderbilt, and I'm just blown away how quickly they can put these buildings up um, from the time they dig the hole to when they're putting the glass on the outside to, to when, when they lay the roof. Um, it just blows my mind that people can actually do that. And on top of that, that we've been doing it for thousands of years when I still can't even really wrap my head around how we can do it today. How do you know that a rental is in a quality building? We rely on ratings to tell us where it is safe to eat and enjoyable to travel. But for those who spend a lot of time in their apartments, what if you could know in advance of signing a lease how safe and comfortable that building is likely to be? In New York City, you can now look at a building and know how it stacks up. From New York City, you're listening to Real Estate Is Your Business, powered by Preview, a smart online real estate brokerage providing expert advice without the high fees. With Thomas Kutzman and Scott Pollock. I want to get right into it, and you know, Rent Logic is focused on buildings and rating systems. Why is that important? Rent Logic is focused on a, on a grading system for apartment buildings. Um, and that's important for a number of different reasons. It's a traditionally opaque market, um, especially in New York City, where you have listings scattered across different sites and services. You never really know what kind of apartment you're signing a lease in. Um, the, the existing things that are out there are, are, are things like Yelp. Um, and other user-generated review sites, which have some value, but we find that there's just a, a strong element of bias to it. And so on one end, we help renters um, confidently sign a lease, which in, in New York City, it, it usually takes up about 50% of their wallet share month over month. Um, but at the same time, there's so many great landlords out there that go unrecognized. And the the city is quick to paint them as slumlords or call them all sorts of horrible things. There's a landlord watch list. There's now a worst banks watch list. There's a speculation watch list. Um, there's all these tools. And, you know, whenever something bad happens, it's always just a landlord's fault in terms of, you know, the media and how they report it and how they sensationalize things. So we finally have kind of created this tool that can identify good landlords. Um, and that's one of the reasons why we're gaining traction. And what I noticed in you know my research and you know from our conversations uh, before is that you rely very heavily on you know, publicly available government-driven data as opposed to the biased data. You know, how do you go about you know collecting that or or thinking about you know you know government and publicly available data? So it's it's twofold. So the, the way the data pipes kind of work right now, um, from one side is uh, any anybody can issue a complaint. You can call three on one and say there's no heat or hot water, um, or there there's roaches, or you know something more insignificant like there's a light bulb that's out. Um, that information is then routed to the appropriate agency. So if it's quality of life stuff, it's going to go to HPD, the Department of Housing Preservation Development. If it's um, you know a structural issue with the building, uh, maybe there's some loose bricks outside, it's going to go to DOB, the Department of Buildings. 
Um, once it makes it there, um, the city will then send an inspector who will come and investigate whether or not there's an issue. <clears throat> um, complaints do not impact the the ratings and the grades that we give out because it's just as um, as as biased as as a as an online review site's review. Only confirmed violations do. That being said, the city's code is is very nuanced, and there's a ton of gray area in between them. So while we were building our our grading system, we worked with both you know tenants and landlords, and on on both extremes, we, uh, on both extremes, we worked with some of the most passionate um, tenant advocates you've ever met, and some of the most passionate landlord advocates you've ever met. What we came up with is that the public publicly available data is pretty good. But the best thing that you could have would be an, an in-person an in-person inspection, and so what we do now is we've developed a list of standards um, of kind of what makes an A building, which we built with community stakeholders, and it's it's pretty basic. There's got to be heat. There's got to be hot water. There can't be mold. Um, there can't be roaches. Um, it's about 150 different ticks long. And while we are okay with helping to come up with the list, um, we don't want to be the ones to tick it off. So we subcontract that out to, to vetted third-party licensed inspectors. So these are people that would, that if you wanted to get a loan from the bank, um, they would say and go do go do a building appraisal. We use the same agencies, um, and we've built those standards into an iPhone app. So now, if you if you want to get your building certified with us, you can push a button. Um, someone will reach out to you, we'll speak to you, and, and and pretty soon we can deploy an inspector who's going to come and audit the building. It's meant to be light touch. It's a combination of thorough but not obtrusive. Um, so we'll go into 10% of the units, which is the same as if you're going to, if you're trying to get a loan from from uh, from Fannie or Freddie or, or probably any other kind of commercial um, banks. Uh, we'll go down into the mechanical room. We'll go and check out the roof. Um, we'll check your docs and, and just make sure that everything's good. If it's good, the inspector pushes a button. And then um, within about a day or so, we issue a PDF certificate that's available online. And it will show that this has now been a certified building. And and what you're, you're doing is you're giving a, a grade of sorts, right? And it sounds to me similar to the way the few years ago in New York City and I think previously in L.A., restaurants were getting inspectors coming in and kind of getting you 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 get an a is that the way that you guys think about what you're providing to the buildings and to the public at large when it comes to kind of seeing transparently what's happening inside yeah it's the same way like you wouldn't want to eat in a restaurant that that maybe had a c-rated grade um you know you can go to a restaurant have a bad experience and leave once you're locked into an apartment um, you might not know that there's an issue for a couple months. And while, you know, and the data suggests that that most landlords and, and buildings are pretty good, for the ones that are bad, um, that's that's a horrible decision um, for, a, for a consumer to make. And, you know, we live in the in the Amazon age, you can get user generated reviews on on products, we intentionally um, chose to grade the landlords as ABC or F, because it mirrors what the public is already used to. So there's some implied trust. It makes it very easy for people to understand what we're talking about. Um, a is excellent. B is good. We have landlords that have gotten their portfolios um, certified, and it's been, been a mix of A's and B's. And uh, they're actually, we, we didn't expect this, but they're, they want to put the B's up on their buildings. Um, it means it's a good place to live. There might be other compromises. It might be a little bit cheaper. Um, might be in a different location. Um 
but yeah, and then a C is we you know classified as as needs improvement, um, where there's some issues that happen to be going on in the building, and then an F is kind of a place where we'd say, given the the supply in a market, you could be looking at an F that's going for thirty two hundred bucks a month, and then there's an A across the street for three thousand bucks a month. Um, so it's kind of a way of using capitalism as as a force for good. Whereas if the city were to be you know, the city is, is, uh, it's a regulatory approach. Um, and if you remember what was going on in New York, when they, when they rolled that out, it was a, a disaster. Um, so many restaurateurs were, were upset. It was new, you know, it was rules. It was red tape. Um, the way that we've done it, uh, at, at rent logic is more of a, call it like a voluntary compliance. If you don't want to be involved, you don't have to worry about it. If you're already spending the time and effort into, to creating a good building, we charge on average, um, you know, for a three-unit building, it's it's a hundred bucks per year. For a four-hundred-unit building, it's a thousand bucks per year. It's not expensive. It's it's the cheapest way you can upgrade your building. Um, a lot of research. We just put out a white paper a couple weeks ago. Um, as it turns out, renters are willing to pay up to fifty dollars more per month to live in a building that they know has been independently inspected and qualified. Um, and so that's we're trying to just align as many incentives for why you would want to operate an A building and why you would want to live in an A building, um, and that's kind of the way that we're we're hoping that this moves the market. And and if you're thinking about it, even if you're proactive enough to say I want to be voluntarily certified, and you get a C, but if you're proactive enough to want to get rated, you're probably going to then take that data as a landlord and say I'm going to go try to make it better next time around. Yeah. And so we've seen it happen in kind of two different ways. Um, one of our largest clients, which is an institutional investor, um, they kind of view the properties, they they have a, a buy and hold position. They are probably going to, they could be flipping them in, in 10 years. Um, they had one portfolio, I remember it was 18 buildings and 12 were A's and six were, were F's. It was the first time I had to kind of tell, you know, one of our, our, our clients that some of their buildings weren't up to par. Um, so this was from the institutional side and they were so happy to hear this information. They said, thank you. We're going to go fix everything and we'll call you. Um, and that was done in, in like a week or two on more of the family owned real estate. That's more of a kind of a hold forever asset. And in the past, if they would see an F or a C on their building, it, it was almost like insulting like a family member and they, they view the assets almost like family members. And so, um, just lots of different kinds of characters in the industry. But in general, once people hear about how we work, um, another issue that we have is landlords are, are often, there's again, there's so many tools to to kind of target them that they're surprised when they hear about how fair our process actually is. So you have clients that are paying for you to tell them how how good, if you will, their buildings are. And so are you finding that people who may not necessarily have a building that's quite an A level or, or trying to avoid being certified? So we, just to be clear, we rate every single building in New York City. There's 1.1 million of them. So you can be an A online. And I mean, we, we don't really say anything. You can you can use it however you want, but it's like being LEED certified. You can, you can probably be LEED certified or you can be LEED certified. Now they cost a fortune and at a hundred bucks a year, people want to get the certification. Um, the certification comes with an, an online document that that shows that someone else has been in there. No no tenant is or prospective renter is going to go and look at different units and, and look at it the same way that we are. 
And so we've got 10% of leases that are that are sight unseen. This is this will win it for them. Um, you've got another 10% that are corporate relocation, where you make you can start to actually speak. And we talk to HR department saying, look, if you're going to put someone in New York, we don't we know we're not we're not trying to charge you guys anything, but you should take a look at our site. And if they're in a certified building, um, you start to when we, when we speak to companies that are doing corporate relos um, or relocations, they they like this because moving their staff into quality housing gives them a better chance that you know they're not going to end up in in a in 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 lower quality housing, which might impact their work performance. And the same applies to students, especially if they're coming from overseas. When they can see our kind of seal of approval, it's just another reason um, to to sign a lease in this building over another. When you think about it, look, you've got all these, you've got tons of luxury new construction buildings. Um, they we we have a couple clients that have, that have licensed it there, but for the whole middle of the market, think like Lower East Side, Alphabet City. If you're walking through the neighborhood and you look at a building, it, it could look, you know, like a hundred year old building, which a lot of them are from the outside. You have no way of knowing if that one or the next door neighbor is, is better. So we have one of the only tools out there to, to really differentiate the rental product. And if I'm if I was a renter and I'm looking, you know, looking at different buildings, how how do I go and see this rating? Where is where is the RentLogic rating available? So you can go on RentLogic.com, type in any building address. Um, that's one way of doing it. We are not a listing site. We're we're more of a standards organization. Think think like LEED uh, or ISO um, for industry industry standard, PCI for payments. Um, but we measure uh, the quality and livability uh, of of multifamily uh, apartment buildings. Um, so you can go on RentLogic.com. Or there's also, you can go to rentlogic.com forward slash browser. That will give you a little, um, it's, it's a browser extension. It works on Chrome, Safari, Internet Explorer, Firefox, and it's translated natively into 12 different languages. Once you install that in your browser, you can go on StreetEasy, Realtor.com, Corcoran, pretty much any place, um, or you can go to the, you know, the VanguardChelsea.com, um, pretty much any place where you could find an apartment online uh, with this extension installed that it will pop the rating up on the site and in the next couple months we've been working on an API um, we have a couple different companies Nooklin is is one of them that wants to to test it so they view us from a, a bit of a different perspective but they want to send their listings to us and they want to um, put our some of our grades on their site um, and I think we might end up just doing only the A's and B's um, for, for external sites. What, and I was talking to Harley a couple of weeks ago, he, they run a very, um, a, a very solid, uh, brokerage. And in the past, he was telling me a story about one of his agents put, um, put someone in an apartment and she ended up having a ton of problems later. And then, you know, a month after move-in, the city came in and, and issued a full vacate order because there was something structurally wrong with the building. The first thing that that tenant does is they blame the agent, and then they blame the brokerage, and then they blame the landlord. So from a brokerage standpoint, they could say, look, this building has some issues with it. It could be a price, size, and location, but there's an actual risk in going here. If something like this happens, then it gets the brokerage and the agent off the hook because they, they've warned and disclosed them about any kind of potential problems. Um, at the same time, we have um, 
a gentleman who found this uh, apartment that was like 2300 bucks for a, a two bedroom lower east side and was like i've got to take this but it, it's in a c they're like look like you're you know you're getting a pretty good deal on it you're not going to find something like that very often um he ended up signing the lease but moved into the building with his expectations managed and so when there was a problem it wasn't so much as a shock it wasn't you weren't being sold that this is the greatest place and then you move in and you have a ton of issues for the for the remainder of your lease yeah, it so def it definitely leads to uh, you know an increased level of you know transparency and you know more intelligent decision making I, i've lived in some seas yeah i knew coming in that this was a sea as my foot fell through the stairs yeah. in my fifth story walk up but it was cheap so i get and also, like, if you've been around for, for New York, if you've been in New York for long enough and, and you know what you're doing, like, you can, you can, it's it's not as, as bad as it sounds. You know, it might be equated with a C restaurant, which people don't really want to want to eat in. But it's also the difference between getting a C up to a B is is, is nominal. So if, if you contact us, we'll look at the public data first and say, here are some of the issues that have been reported in this building. Have they all been fixed? Um and then eventually we can get an inspector out there and start to clear things up. So that's those are the the main online places where you can find rent logic ratings. But there's also signage that's being put up. Um, I brought some here to show, which we can maybe take a picture of. You're not going to be able to see it over the podcast, but it looks like a, a uh, an aluminum sign. It says this is an A-rated building. Um, you can scan the phone with the QR code and see like a building report card on the spot. And then you can push a button and see what availabilities are there. And depending on the business model, like some of them, um, Stytown is one of our, uh, one of our kind of, um, flagship sort of communities. Um, they have an in-house leasing office. They want all the leads that are scanned to go directly to them. Um, another company that we're starting to work with Fairstead Capital, they work, um, with the brokerage, they want it to go to um, whatever brokerage is handling their their listings. So it's pretty flexible. Um, it's really just a way of using a, a sign outside to trap walk by traffic, which is very effective. It's pretty cheap if you own the building. You just got to put it up outside. Um, and it also one of the things we like about the signs is that it broadcasts to the community that it's a it's a good place to to live. Um, so we believe that that's going to have a networking effect over time. As more and more of these signs go up, the value of the of the product that we're selling starts to increase. And so landlords that were on the fence about running a B or a C building now start to change their their behavior. They're happy to to turn it into an A, especially if it equates to a, a faster lease up rate um, for a higher premium. Which, again, you hear that question, but you know New York has such a low vacancy rate and the prices are already so high. It's a business optimization tool. Um, and there's always room for that. Excellent. Coming up, we'll get a little bit deeper into you know how RentLogic approaches this, and you know, hear more of your views on you know where this, these increasing levels of transparency are going in the in the real estate industry. But first, uh, as a custom on the show, we have snack time, which is an opportunity for us to uh, break bread with our guests. And you were kind enough to uh, to bring a snack for us today. Uh, what uh, what are we sharing today? This this is from Press Juicery. It's a bunch of uh, it's a bunch of freshly squeezed juices and kind of bars. Um, the reason I brought it was just because you know if you're running a startup, having your mind and body sort of healthy and on the same page is important. 
So I thought this would be better than rolling up here with just pizza and wings and, and beers. <laughs> you mentioned uh, Nooklin and, and Harley Quartz from there. He was on our show a few months ago, and I remember vividly he brought some. It was from a juicery or, or a similar spot. <laughs> Vegan raw food. I feel like you guys are kindred spirits in your staying healthy for startup life. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely important. It's the easiest thing to forget, especially if you're rushing around. Um, but really, I think what you eat does have a, a big effect on your brain. Um, personally, I try and, even though, despite what I brought, I try and, and stay away from, from sugar. I find it just makes me tired. Um, and when you're burning the candle from both ends, um, I think it's just important. No, oh, great. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll be healthier after, uh, after this snack time. And uh, yeah, thanks for bringing this. And uh, we'll be right back. Are you looking to buy a home in New York City? Get more with Preview's industry-leading smart buyer rebate. Seamlessly search listings on Preview's end-to-end buyer platform. Purchase your home with the expert advice of a local agent. Plus, receive up to 2% cash back thanks to Preview's Smart Buyer Commission Rebate. Smart buyers get more with Preview. Go to previewapp.com backslash buyer. That's previewapp.com backslash buyer. Hey everybody, it's Tom. We enjoy bringing the show to you week after week, but we need your help. One of the best ways for listeners to discover the show are from your reviews. So let's make that happen. Go to iTunes, search Real Estate Is Your Business, and leave us a review. And while you're at it, why not a five-star rating? Yale, you gave us a, a good introduction of, of Rent Logic. Um, but when we you know think about presenting data, certifications, you know, it... it seems clear to me that you're coming from this at an angle of increasing transparency, which I think is a, a bigger topic, you know, to, to cover. Um, what inspired this idea? The, the, the whole story of kind of how Rent Logic started um, is probably a little bit different than, than some of the other, I guess, uh, tech companies and startups that you've been interview, interviewing or have interviewed in the past. So when I first moved to New York, it was for a completely different job. Um, I was doing some writing for Freakonomics, and I was working for for another company that made printable circuitry and moved into an apartment that happened to be one of Steve Croman's buildings. Um, and for those that aren't familiar with him, he's the landlord that went to jail um, in September last year, and the AG fined him. Uh, it was, I can't remember if it was six or 8 million, um, in restitution that went towards the, the families and the, and the tenants that they displaced and, and harassed. Um, so that was my first kind of encounter in, in New York moved in a couple, you know, months went by, I started to get sick. Um, turned out there was mold in the building. I asked them to clean it up. They said, okay, we'll do it. A few months later, I was like, all right, um, I'm just hiring someone ended up costing thousands of dollars, um, which most tenants aren't willing to pay and a lot of them aren't, aren't able to pay. Um, at the same time, because I moved here from Canada, they had my security deposit, which was three months. Um, and to get the apartment, they said, look, there's 10 other people bidding on this, so you've got to pay more. So then I paid more. After the mold showed up, I said, um, 
can I just have my deposit back and leave? Like it's in high demand. You should be. Able, and they were like, well, you know, we don't know who we're going to rent it to, so we have to keep your deposit. That was my entire nest egg at the time. So I said, look, like, I'm going to have to take you guys to court. Um, ended up going to court, and around the same time, uh, the city was starting to publish their open data, and that's when I really started getting involved with it. Um, and just kind of playing around. I, I was just fascinated with all this information that was, it seemed just kind of like a gold mine. There's limitless things that you can do with it um, to make cities better places to live. And so I, I pulled down um, all the information that I could, and I basically built a, a, a statistical model that showed um, how, how terrible my building was compared to similar assets and similar geographies, um, other buildings by this particular landlord's portfolio. And um, the, it, I, I wanted to bring in something other than my word. Pictures don't always tell um, a story. It's hard to kind of take pictures of, of, you know, this wasn't like thick black mold. It was just there bothering me. Um, and I wanted something that was more like objective than just the, this, the he said, she said thing. Then you go to court. Um, and just as a quick background on this, my family business is, is real estate. We're, we're brokers in Toronto for over 40 years. A little bit different. We do we do new homes um, and subdivisions, typically to families that are, are new to Canada. Um, but uh, I sold my first house when I was when I was 12 years old um, to to a girl in my Hebrew school class, just randomly at the time. But I, a lot I remember 12 year olds buying houses in Canada. It was I sold it to her parents, but I uh, I did the house was listed. I did the showing, and it was the it was a running joke in my family that I I, I look like my father, I act like him, I talk like him, and now I was like selling houses like him. Um, so this is at first people thought it was like it was definitely a very pro tenanty at first because um, I was just so angry at what this was going on. Um, but I, that's not who I am as a person. Landlords are it's everybody I've grown up with. We've all the kids have grown up together. They've the, been the reason my family's been able to afford many different kinds of luxuries and and privileges. So this isn't an anti landlord thing at all. Um, this was just completely unfair. And it it really really irked me. Um, so after I I showed this report to to the judge, the judge kind of laughed and said, first of all, like I'm sorry, like welcome to New York. It it's uh, you know things. It, this is a great city to live in. Um, and and second of all, uh, I don't think you know what you're what you're really doing here. This is a huge problem. Um, we see a few cases from Croman every week and other landlords and and you should build an app so that's the the best sort of court appearance you can have (laughs) it was it was yeah so i didn't so in in terms of the court case i mean i i i I won they they put out an offer and and we settled um did i really win i lost all the time um if this happened to 10 people and nine people did nothing you know then it's it becomes a cost of doing business for certain kinds of landlords and at the end of the day, it kind of has given us this this business. Um, so um, I happened to to do a little bit of programming. I wrote the first version of of Rent Logic, which was called Rent Check at the time. Um, went online. Ted did a piece on it. Started like going. Ted the the speaker series. Yeah. So um, I'm actually I'm a Ted fellow from 2011, and so I I pit, I said if it's for doing something different, I said, hey guys, what do you think of this? And they said, hey, we'll we'll put this on our blog. Um, went up and then. We had people all over the spectrum reaching out to us. We had some like people would email us saying, "This is such a great site. Can I donate to you?" And we we redirected all the funds to to just a, a housing nonprofit. Um, 
the first version was definitely built out of an intense emotional experience and it was was pretty spiteful. I just really didn't want anyone else to to have to deal with this. Then as things started to move along, um, you start to realize landlords and tenants, even though this is one of the oldest business relationships in the world, it's it's probably one of the more contentious ones. Um, people have all sorts of negative stereotypes about landlords and about tenants, but it's really it's just two sides of the same coin. And if you want to come, if we were to come at from a pro-tenant standpoint, we lose credibility. If we come from a pro-landlord standpoint, we lose credibility too. So now we we sit in the middle between two parties, which means that uh, both sides kind of come at us at times. Um, but, you know, you can't make everyone happy. And if we're getting 80, 90 percent of people happy, then, you know, and do, doing it right, then then we're, you know, we're doing the right thing. So it sounds like your, your background also kind of not just the unfortunate experience you had, but the fact that you were writing for Freakonomics, you were Ted Phillips. Tell us a little bit about your, your background and how the, that might have played a, a role in becoming the person who a judge tells, go build an app on the case that you just built against the company you're suing. Um, my my background before all this was was totally different. I was in hospitality and, and nightlife. Um, I was actually I was a I was a nightclub DJ for for most of my twenties. And when I was in university, I just realized that you could play music in a in a way to to drive bar sales. Um, I went to Queen's University, which is in Kingston, Ontario. So it's a university town. There was only a handful of places you could go at night, and um, people would pre-drink until 12. So it would be dead until 12. Then between 12 and 12.05, 500 people would be outside trying to get in. Um, nobody wants to pay cover, which is the only, put, you know, that's 100% margin. So we wouldn't want to give that up. Last call is 2 p.m. So you've only got from 12 to 1.45, really from like 1 to 1.45 to get people in there and, and to turn a profit. Um, I ended up becoming a partner in this club. And if we didn't make 4,000 gross at the end of the night, then we weren't opening. Um, and this was a specific club that was more geared around music. It was the only independent operator. Um, I had a great relationship with the owner who was the, the other um, resident DJ at the time. And in the most basic example possible, like if you want to play music to change how the bar works um, in this particular demographic, if you put on Britney Spears, all the girls would walk to the dance floor. Then a few minutes later, all the guys would walk to the dance floor and then nobody's drinking. Um, so you would, we started to come up with different ways on, on how we could play music to, to optimize that particular business model. Um, I ended up convincing the owner to let me wire the place with sensors. And we started counting gender ratio, how people were walking in, what music they were listening to, what night of the week it was, the, the length of the lineup outside, which is a, a topic called Q theory. There's actually studied theory about the length of the line and how that can be related to business. Um, songs that were being played, tempo, key, you name it. And we started to study people um, kind of from a sociological standpoint. And uh, Ended up publishing my thesis on that. It got attention from a lot of people, including the the guys from Freakonomics, um, also from University of Toronto, where a professor read it. Ended up um, going and, and starting to do my master's and PhD with him. We published three times in my first semester there, and then I ended up flunking out because my background was in biology and psychology, and they put me right into to sociology, which at UFT, UFT is a tough school in general. Um, but that program was was really hard. And uh, then I got a job offer um, from some major nightclub players that were based in New York that said, you should come here and, and we'll give you some gigs. And then I ended up in that building. So 
And throughout that time, so I was at one point um, one of the only nightclub psychologists slash sociologists. It worked well. You're the only nightclub sociologist that I know, there, for sure. I, it's, there, I couldn't find anyone else at the time. I'm sure some people have looked at it. and um, But yeah, so that's what uh, another friend of mine said, hey, have you heard of the, the TED Fellows program? He's um, like, you should apply. And then they were like, uh, you know, after a bunch of interviews, they were like, you're in. And uh, I was completely shocked and, and, and humbled from it. And that kind of opened up the doors to a lot more of the, the tech um, sector and tech folks that, we, that, I, that I wanted to get involved with. Thinking about this, the, the music side of this and, you know, it, it, maybe it's a, a Canadian thing, you know, Nickelback and, and Drake, you know, designing songs around algorithms and things. Of, you, you guys were effectively building an algorithm for, uh, you know, how to, run, how to run a club with, with music, which is... I feel like you were, you were very data hating driven. on some Canadian, uh, some Canadian music. I personally grew up in Long Island, but loved me some some Canadian alternative rock from the mid nineties. So yeah. I just want to go ahead on the defense just in case you're Yeah, not yeah, I'm not thing. I'm not not geared to totally come at Canadians, but it seems like they're uh, they're more optimizing about how they uh, they're fine people in general, they but they're rock stars. Approach the music. Canada's an interesting market for music. You'll find like a lot of artists that are coming out. Like when Lady Gaga was was first coming out, they use Canada and I think Australia, if I recall correctly, as test markets to see before they start to pump dollars into the the larger American one. It's different now with Spotify and everything like that. But so as a nightclub sociologist, why is it that uh, the Canadian Australian markets are a better test ground for for music? That's more of a, a music industry question, which I'm not qualified to answer. But I think it's also um, what they would probably do is it was like a way of sampling, um, see what works in, in Canada. If it works, great. If it doesn't work, why didn't it work? Try again. And then you you, you know you used to have to spend a fortune to, to market artists. Now you can just say something on YouTube and and be made. <laughs> it's definitely a different game. Uh, but but coming back to to Rent Logic and, and your your viewpoints. Um, you said you had built the first iteration, Rent Check, Rent Logic, um, yourself. Uh, obviously, you are clearly very smart. You've written, written papers about all this optimization. Did you come from a coding technology background or so, so just self-taught? Not formally, but I've been uh, the, actually the house that I mentioned that I sold before. Um, my father made the broker give me the commission, <laughs> and uh, he, he bought me my first Dell computer, and I basically sat on that for the next 10 years um it's played around with everything from from computer music um to to software programming um so now and and when i said i built the first version there were there was a few of us a couple other colleagues um that were helping with it especially with some of the um i'm i was kind of my my knowledge was kind of like a an inch thick and a mile wide um so i could get the job done but it wasn't pretty um yeah i think so and so, you know, you, you've kind of done all these interesting things, um, kind of taking a unique angle to looking at the world and, and the data that the world spits out, presumably. And that, that seems to be the thread that kind of brought you to where you are now. So how do you see the world kind of evolving with all this data? And we talked about transparency. Um, are more governments and municipalities, et cetera, 
producing data that's going to change the way that we, we live and work and, and exist in, in the real estate world? Or do you see any other trends that are coming from how open data is evolving from the real estate space? Um, so from the real estate space, I mean, I think just because it's it's such an opaque market in general, which makes sense because that's what makes it inefficient and that's how you can you can make a lot of money. I just don't think that that's how any market is really going to be as it as we move further and further, further and further across time. Um, in terms of general trends that are, that are going on right now, the the one that that um, I guess th that I think of the most is is uh, big data and, and algorithmic accountability with what's been going on with Facebook and Cambridge Analytica, um, which in no way are we trying to com uh, you know compare with a company at that sort of level, um, but like companies like Google and Facebook. Uh, we, me and a few friends have always been saying like, this day has been, been coming, um, for a long time. Like if you wrote down what, what Google does as a company and how they make money, and you just took the name Google off and you showed it to someone, you would be like shocked, um, at how, how invasive it can be. So I think this year we're going to see a lot more, um, privacy focused applications. Um, signal is what I use personally for texting, um, I think Apple's going to move into self-destructing messages. They're interesting because they have a privacy-focused platform, unlike the other tech giants. Um, but back to algorithmic accountability, founders often start out with the best intentions, and companies, I don't think anybody knew, even the guys from Facebook and Google, had, like, has, as brilliant as they are, I don't think they knew how big of a company they, they were building the, the the big four big five tech companies are, are worth more than i forget the actual statistics scott galloway talks about this a lot um but but trillions of dollars in in market cap so um when you have that much money that brings with it a lot of power and influence so how do you do it in a humane and ethical way so one thing that that we did um, so, so what we've done, which is which is pretty different than than a lot of companies that are that are in the space at the startup level, uh, our algorithms have a, re a review committee where it's not just a couple people um, in a garage or or a dorm room or 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 a WeWork saying this is how I think it should happen. So we work very closely with community stakeholders that will be impacted by our grading system. Landlords, tenants, real estate brokers, um, people in the public sector, people in the in the nonprofit sector, and that's one thing that we're committed to to doing. Um, we also publish just about everything online. We're as transparent as we can be without harming ourselves as a company because we are a for profit. Um, but I think we're going to see a lot more people starting to think about the impact of, of algorithms on society. Um, right now, they control 99% of what we do and less than 1% of people understand them. They're typically owned by corporations, which regardless of who works there, their machines designed to extract as much value um, and monetary gains out of it as possible, um, which is fine. That's what for-profits are, are designed to do, but that's why we're starting to have conversations about should these companies be regulated now because self-regulation has not been the, the, the right thing for society. It's been the right thing for, for profits. And I think what we're going to find is we're going to end up somewhere in between um, like a pseudo-regulation. Um, governments don't really want to interfere with markets, um, but if it's a matter of, um, you know, the public safety, then, then that's something that they would do. Well, it definitely seems like you're creating a, a socially responsible product, but also 
doing it in a very socially responsible you know way of handling it so it's you know we definitely applaud you for that because you know like you said like people you can't predict um what things will be in the future but at least you're you're starting from the very beginning on the right foot which uh that's you know fantastic um when we come back we'll get a little bit more personal uh in in nature uh and move away from it logic and learn even more about you uh, even outside of your uh, early DJing days we'll be right back the superior audio quality on Mouth Media Network is powered by Sennheiser and as a listener you can receive a 25% discount on virtually any headphone microphone and other high quality audio product available to purchase directly on the Sennheiser website. Just visit Sennheiser.com and enter the code MouthMediaSen, that's MouthMedia, S-E-N-N, at checkout. Keep up with the show on Instagram and Facebook at Real Estate Biz Show and with hashtag MouthMedia. Plus, check out all of the MouthMedia Network shows at MouthMediaNetwork.com and wherever the best podcasts are found. Yeah, you gave us a good introduction of Rent Logic, but uh, you know we want to go even you know deeper and understand uh, you, the person. Uh, I'm going to kick it to to Scott to, for the personal personal question. Kick so off. we covered a really important topic earlier, um, which is Canadian music. I'm curious, uh, and you're not allowed to answer the tragically hip, but favorite Canadian band, any genre. Uh, open question. Um, number one Canadian artist right now is, is K Tranada. Um, it's an electronic kind of hip hop um, out of Montreal. They did a track with a Luna George, um, which I think did pretty well, at least on the Spotify charts. So they're definitely worth checking out. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't. Have... And I'm Mother Earth. There you go. Okay. <laughs> See, I'm, I was more of like mid '90s Canadian alternative rock kind of a guy, but I feel like there's a kinship here. Yes. Actually, just mentioning Spotify. So Spotify recently mm-hmm. went public in uh, you know New York Stock Exchange. You know, big sign. You know, Swedish company. Uh, a friend of mine sent me a picture of uh, of the stock exchange with this, the the Spotify logo. They put up the Swiss flag instead of the Swedish flag by accident. So <laughs> definitely, a, definitely a mess up there for Spotify. That was a brilliant IPO. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I that's really clever what they did. Gave everyone their investors, their staff liquidity. They've got six billion on the books year over year. They don't need money. It's a pretty simple app. Like it's a good, and it's a very piece. transparent way to do it. Because speaking about opaque processes, and you know, I I come from more of a financial markets background. So, you know, when an asset management firm goes into you know submits to go into these IPOs, the the final deal allocation process is extremely opaque. Um, so to see something being more transparent, even with, with that, you know, process is, is pretty cool. Yeah. I'd like to see them, um, pay a little bit more towards the artists for the amount of revenue they're generating. Um, it's more than just a publicity machine and artists, I mean, have been stuck getting the short end of the stick from, from their music and their licensing rights and have to make their money off merch and touring. But I think it's, that could be balanced a little bit more in favor of the artist. Yeah. Or even if you look at like some artists like Chance the Rapper, he makes all of his money off of touring and merch. Like he, he doesn't even, he just gives away all of his music for free on, yeah. on purpose. 
that's a good way of looking at it too if you're if you're going out with that kind of intention um but just switching away from music for a second um i've heard you know from other people in the industry that you might have the first talking dog just uh I was out. I was at a bar with uh, with one of my buddies one day, and we started talking about my dog's name is Ellie, and and somehow came up saying like, what what would Ellie say to you if she, if she could speak? And then a few hours later, like this is right when uh, when Amazon's Alexa was coming out, um, ended up pulling the Alexa software. Um, that's they make Amazon releases some pieces as open source, which is interesting. Um, but there's, I, I grabbed the Alexa software, mounted it on a Raspberry Pi, which is a $35 computer, um, that runs Linux and hooked it up with a bunch of wires and microphones and, um, and speakers. And, um, we ended up building, building all this hardware into a harness. Um, and now I can walk down the street and, um, if someone says like, Hey, what's, you know, what's that thing on your dog? She, it's trained to pick up keywords from the environment. And she usually says something just rude and horrible to to anybody that that she comes across so just to be clear you had the opportunity to create the world's first talking dog and you made it a profane insult dog that's you made right triumph the insult comic dog. that that's what the vision was um you can find she's on it in, is intentionally okay just yeah on. she's on instagram her her name is it's ellie i-t-s-e-l-l-y dot bitch um and uh, there's a couple of videos up there after the, the, you know, we missed it. You know, a lot of times you miss out on the human element. This time we missed out on the canine element. So we built this whole thing uh, that took months and just to get it set up and wired. And it turns out she didn't really like wearing it that much. So the hardest part of this entire project had nothing to do with with the tech. It was just that my dog's a little bit of a moron and she doesn't want to cooperate with anybody. And just to to allow you know the listeners to visualize this, what type of dog? What breed of dog? She's is a this? wiener dog. So it also. They kind of look funny, and people would see this thing, and I think someone thought it was like an external pacemaker or something. It looks like a, a CPU type board on it. Um, so it's it's definitely a conversations piece. We had to, yeah, we had some fun with it. So the world's first talking dachshund. That's right. Interesting, and it's at it's Ellie dot bitch yep. on Instagram. That's right. I feel like we've learned more about you uh, <laughs> through these conversations than we have in any other way. Yeah, we'd like to give everybody an opportunity to leave us you know, with a final thought. It can be you know, about yourself, about the company, about you know, just your vision of the world. Um, what would you like to share with, uh, with the listeners today? I think um, one of the things that I think about quite frequently is that the way that media represents certain things and, and then you have kind of these echo chambers that have, have been built by social media and these platforms that we you know, that we love to use, we're starting to really see the the transformative power of tech and how it can literally reshape society um, and cultural values and belief systems and all sorts of things like that. So a lot of people um, have been talking about how bad it is and how it's the end of the world. I think it's actually a good thing. Um, I think at the end of the day, people are responsible. Um, the people running those, those, you know, Fang, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, I think they're good people behind it. Um, and they're just trying to figure out what they can do next, but it's not going to happen overnight. If it did, then you would start to see stock prices tanking. So it's going to be a slow, gradual movement, but I think they're going to do the right thing at the end of the day. 
Um, and we should all look at them as seeing, you know, the great things they've done, but also some of the oversights that they've had and apply them towards our day-to-day lives and even companies that we're trying to start. And for, you know, folks that are listening that want to connect with you or your brand, what are, what's the best way to, for people to reach out there? You can email me anytime. Um, it's just, it's yale.fox at rentlogic.com. Um, we're at RentLogic on Twitter, Facebook, um, LinkedIn, Medium, and then of course just RentLogic.com. Um, happy to talk to anyone, um, anytime. Excellent. Thanks for joining us today. And, uh, thank you to everyone, uh, for listening as always. Um, and for Scott. Bye everyone. And I'm Tom and real estate is your business. You've been listening to Real Estate Is Your Business. To suggest guests or content for this show or to become a sponsor, email us at realestatebizshow at mouthmedianetwork.com. Keep up with the show on social media at Real Estate Biz Show. That's Real Estate B-I-Z Show. Episodes available on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, along with our website, realestateisyourbusiness.com. Produced by Mouth Media Network and brought to you by Preview. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. No portion of the episode may be distributed or published without the express written permission of the producers. Thanks for listening. This is Mouth Media Network, covering the business of lifestyle.